Well, good morning. We are glad that you have connected with us today, whether it's in person or whether it's online. We're so happy to have you here with us. For those of you who may not know who I am, I'm Mike Osborne. I am the executive pastor, and I am your preacher for today. So you can do the sad, frowny face because Randy's not here. I'm good with it. I've seen it before. Uh, It doesn't bother me. The good news is Randy will be back next week after some much-needed vacation days, and he will be back in his Revelation series. So uh, make know that, tell your friends about it, that we're going to be back in Revelation next Sunday. I don't think anybody would argue that there are different stages or segments in life, and they're not all the same. For instance, if you're a parent, you know there is a difference between the toddler stage and the teenage stage. They're not at all the same. Young adult, senior adult, I have discovered, are not at all the same. But you know, there's more to it than that. There are those who have spent their lives studying this idea of the segments of life, the the stages of life, and how they affect us and how they apply to us. There are people like uh, Eric Erickson, a psychologist, who has determined that there are eight stages of life, of development, that range from infancy up to late adulthood. Others have said, no, that's not right. There are 12 stages. There are three stages. There are six stages. And the debate goes on. I want to share with you this morning three philosophies, three thoughts on that. And I'm going to be honest with you right up front. They're not as well-researched, probably, as Eric Erickson. They're more somebody's opinion. For instance, somebody has said you can determine the stage, the age of somebody by how they read the newspaper. Now, some of you are thinking nobody reads the newspaper, but some do. Most of them do it online nowadays, but we still read the newspaper. And in this this theory, the guy says the youngest stage, stage one, somebody reads the comics first. As they get a little older, they move into stage two and they read the sports first. Stage three, they read the news first. And in the oldest stage, the final stage, the first thing they read is the obituaries. And there's great truth to this philosophy. Another fellow said, no, there are just three stages in life. And he summed them up this way. He said there are the teenage years. He says that's when you've got a lot of time and a lot of energy but no money. Then he said there are the working stage. He says that's where you've got money and you've got energy, but you have no time. And then there's the senior adult stage where you've got time and you've got money, but you have absolutely no energy to do anything with it. And one final one, the guy says it starts with preschool. In preschool, you're set behind a desk and told not to break anything. Then you go to elementary school, and in elementary school, what you're told is it's going to be a lot harder when you get to high school. You go to high school, and they tell you in high school, it's going to be a lot harder when you get to college. Then you go to college, and they tell you it's going to be a lot harder when you get into the real world. And then you go out into the real world and get that job, and they sit you behind the desk and tell you not to break anything. Well, there are stages to life. And you're going to see why I kind of began with that as we move to Acts chapter 26. So if you'll turn there. And I will tell you, Acts chapter 26 is the account 
of Paul coming before King Agrippa and giving his testimony. And it is a tremendous passage to use to teach how to give your personal testimony. As Paul is sharing with King Agrippa, he begins by telling him what his life was like before he came to know Christ. He then moves to telling him how he came to know Christ, how he encountered him. And then he finishes with telling him what his life had been like after meeting Christ. And that is an amazing template of how to develop and share your personal testimony. And it would be a grand and glorious sermon to take that and talk about developing your testimony this morning. But that's not what we're going to do. We're actually going to look at what he says and look at the stages in his spiritual life, his spiritual journey, and see where we fall. Because the truth of the matter is, every one of us that is hearing this message today, whether it's online or in person, or whether you may listen to it later in the week, you know, by on demand, if you're listening to the message, you're going to fall into one of these four stages. And so I want us to look and see what Paul is sharing with us and what the stages are. And the first stage is a stage that I've entitled darkness. And understand that darkness is the absence of light, but it's also the lack of sight, the lack of vision. And every one of us at some point in our spiritual journey has been in that stage. Some of us have moved beyond it. Some of us are still there. That's, that's okay. It's, it's not a reflection of who you are and what kind of person you are. It's all about your relationship with Jesus. It's all about whether or not you have seen and experienced the light of Jesus Christ. And so he begins by saying, before I met that light, I was in this state. And let's look at what he says. Let's pick up in verse 9. We've gotten into his testimony just a little bit. But verse 9 of chapter 26, he says, In fact, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. This I actually did in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. Being greatly enraged at them, I even pursued them to foreign cities." So Paul is describing his life before he met, before he encountered in a personal way the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is describing it in a sense of the darkness that was there in his life, in his actions, in what he was doing. But you know, the interesting thing is you look at this, Paul at that point in time did not know he was in darkness. He didn't realize he was in darkness until he experienced the light. We recently in in our house had two hallways that were kind of dark. We knew that. So I replaced the overhead lights in both of them with some new fixtures and new light bulbs and all of those things. But I'm going to tell you, yeah, we knew it was a little dark. But once we put the new fixtures up and cut on the new lights, I realized how dark it was before. It's a wonder we could walk through the hallway. We didn't see the difference until we actually saw the light. And that's what's true. For Paul here, he didn't understand he was in darkness. In fact, Paul thought he was a pretty good fellow, didn't he? 
as he's reading it, he said, I suppose, this is what I understood I should be doing. And he's describing himself and his religious activities. What he was doing, he thought, for the cause of God as he persecuted this, this sect, this group of Christians. So he was saying, you know, I was operating out of a very religious concept. But the truth of the matter is, we can be religious and be lost. Paul was. And there are many of us who have. Billy Graham used to say that the majority of church members were lost. The majority of church members did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I think he's probably right. You can kind of look at it by the fact that if you look at any church roles, at least half of them, nobody knows who they are or where they live. There's no connection with the things of the Lord. Now, so you've got to understand when we talk about religion, you've, I know you've heard a preacher sometimes say, well, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And that's true, but it's also a little confusing. Because Christianity is listed as a religion. I went to school to get my degree in religion. I have a master's of divinity in religious education. So what are we talking about when we're saying it's not about religion? Understand this, religion is not denying God. What religion is, is taking the power and the majesty and the glory and the awesomeness of God and shrinking it down to rituals and regulations. That's what Paul had done. That's what the Jews of his day had done. They had taken the power and the majesty of God and brought it down to these rituals and they were fulfilling and following the rituals. Paul will tell you himself, he said, I was the very Jew of all Jews. He said, I followed all the rules, all the regulations. I did everything right. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message for this day. Because to be honest, up to this point, it seems like a little odd message in the midst of coronavirus and all of that. Because, I mean, obviously, the folks who come out while we're still in the midst of all of our restrictions and show up in church and the folks who take time out of their schedules to listen online on Sunday morning... You're obviously good, right? You're obviously okay, right? I don't know, maybe. Maybe. But maybe not. See, we can be like Paul. We can be religious, but still be lost. You know, we say we believe. The Bible says you believe there's one God. You do well. The demons also believe. There's more to it than that. And you can say, but isn't it, as long as we're good and sincere about what we believe, that's what matters. That's kind of what culture teaches us today, isn't it? As long as you're sincere, as long as you got something to believe in and you're passionate about it and you're sincere about it, that's all that matters. Paul was sincere in the persecution of the Christians. Paul was passionate about it. You see, it's not enough to be sincere. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. You need to be sincere and passionate about the truth of God. And the truth of God is that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and pay the price for your sins that you might be forgiven. That's the message of the light. 
the message of the gospel. In verse 7, as Paul was sharing with Agrippa, he says, I'm being accused of this by the Jews. He said, what they're accusing me of is loving God and being sincere. So it's not enough to be religious, not enough to be sincere. We can still be walking in darkness. But this next stage, stage number two, is what I call discovery. And discovery is when we see and realize what's going on. Paul described what happens next. Look at starting in verse 12. He says, Under these circumstances, I was traveling to Damascus with authority and a commission from the chief priest. At midday, while on the road, O king, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. Paul says, I was walking, living, acting out in darkness. He said, but all of a sudden, I saw the light. There's an old Hank Williams song that says that. I saw the light. I'm not sure about Hank Williams, but that's in God's hands. Uh, his life had no evidence of it, but it's, the truth of the song is there. It's when we see the light of God, the light of Jesus Christ, that it makes the difference in us. And the Bible over and over again uses this imagery, this idea of light. And so it's, it's appropriate that that's how God came to Paul. And that's appropriate that that's how he reveals himself to us. You see, God's character is light. The Bible says God is light. And it also tells us that in the beginning of creation there was no light. Everything was in chaos. Everything was in darkness. And the first recorded words of God in Scripture is, let there be light. God is light. There are dozens of Scriptures that compare God's majesty and His mystery to light. You are resplendent. With light, it tells us in Psalm 76. He wraps himself in light as a garment, it says in Psalm 104. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, it says in Ephesians. God is light. And you know, when we think about light, the interesting thing is we don't understand light. Or we think we kind of got a knowledge of it, but we don't. In fact, those who really study it, physicists and others, they will acknowledge that light is something they just have not been able to grasp exactly what it is. Oh, we've captured it in lasers and in x-rays, and we're able to cut on lights in their buildings and do all of that, but we don't really know and understand what light is and how it works. In fact, Albert Einstein, who part of his theory of relativity back in uh, 1905, he said that the one constant is the speed of light. He said, light is a constant in our world. But then he went on to say, and I don't understand it. He said, I will spend the rest of my life reflecting on the nature of light. What it means. And just as light as we know it, it's hard for us to understand. 
So the majesty and power of God is hard for us to grasp. As he is clothed in that unapproachable light, how do we approach him? Well, he reveals that to us. It's through his son, Jesus. God, whom we could not approach, came to earth to approach us. To bring his son. And Jesus is, in essence, God's spotlight. Now, we've had many uh, theatrical performances in this building over the years that we've been here. And you've been to them, some of you, and you've been to other plays and other places. And you know a little bit how spotlight works. For instance, you've got a scene getting ready to start right over here. And it all goes dark, and then a spotlight comes on that spot. Spotlight shines on that scene. And you know what it tells you? Something important is about to happen right there. It directs your attention. It directs your energy. It directs your thoughts to where the spotlight is. And it may go off there and come up on the scene over here next. And it's going to direct your attention there. It's showing you what is happening that is important and significant and it bears your attention. And God sent His Son as His spotlight to point us to what is important. That the God of the universe, the God who created this world, so loves you and me that he came to earth that we might have a right relationship with him. The Bible says the people living in darkness had seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. That light is Jesus Christ. And that light is Jesus pointing us to the Father. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of the world. So the first stage is darkness. The second stage is discovery. The third stage of our spiritual journey as revealed here in Paul's testimony is dependence. And dependence is that state of relying and trusting. Our musicians, our singers, sang so much this morning about trust in God. And that's what it's all about. Let's look at what he says. Beginning in verse 14. He said, When we'd all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul! Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, for the teenage boys in here, what goads are is a stick you punch the animal with to make them go where they wanted to go. They often think it's something else. Verse 15, but I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. You know, I want to say to you, excuse me, I want to say to you, this, I believe, is not the first time that God has tried to get Paul's attention. I think back to earlier in the book of Acts with the stoning of Stephen, and and I think 
God was trying to use that and his testimony and what was happening there to get to Paul, but that didn't get to him. And I think there are other places where he tried, and that didn't do it. But now God comes and knocks him on his backside to get his attention. But I want you to notice something. In the course of what we just read, he's struck with this. He's knocked down. The light has hit him. Everybody's experiencing it. And God says to him, why are you persecuting me? And look what he says. Who are you? Folks, that's the question we ultimately have to ask ourselves about God. Who are you, God? Many of you in this room, many of you listening online, you have answered that question in your life. You have come to understand who God is. But that's the key question. And then the next thing that happens, he says, tells him, I'm the God you've been persecuting. Now get up. Folks, I want you to see something. There is a difference in this area of dependence. There is a difference between just seeing and following. There are a whole lot of folks who have heard, who have in essence seen Jesus Christ. They've seen it. They've read about it. They know about it. but it's never made any difference in their lives. They've never gotten up and done anything with it. They've never followed him. They've never asked the question, well, who are you? What does that mean to me? And that's the key question. See, I got saved when I was a 12-year-old boy. I grew up in a church home. I knew all the stories. I believed all the stories. I understood all the stories intellectually. One night, I went to a revival meeting. I walked into that revival meeting, a 12-year-old country boy. I sat down, and I listened to what this preacher had to say, and all of a sudden, I wasn't hearing what the preacher had to say. I was hearing what God had to say to me. And I got up, and I came forward, and I gave my heart and my life to Jesus. And I walked out of that building, a 12-year-old country boy. I went in that building weighing 125, 130 pounds. I came out of that building weighing 125, 130 pounds. There was a whole lot of stuff that hadn't changed in my life. But the most important thing had changed. That was inside. That's what God did. But see, it came about by moving from just hearing, seeing, intellectually understanding, but doing something about it. See, it's a difference between unapplied and applied. So much of what I had learned up to that point was unapplied knowledge. It was knowledge. I knew it. But I'd never applied it in my life. And that's what God desires us to do. That's part of that third stage in our lives. It's it's moving from just having seen the light to living a life, trusting in the light. See, there's a lot of folks that want to make Jesus out to be just another great religious teacher. But he wasn't. Where other teachers said, I can show you the light, Jesus said, I am the light. Where they said, I can tell you about the truth, Jesus said, I am the truth. Where they said, I can, I can show you a better life, Jesus said, I am the life. And see, we've got to understand that, rely on that, trust that, and apply that into our lives. Jesus said in John 17, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So stage three is moving to that point of following him, of depending on him, of relying on him. And then stage four is devotion. And devotion is an assignment to a purpose. Look at what he says to Agrippa, starting in the last part of verse 16. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of the things you have seen and of things in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, what he shares with them is the fact that he has a purpose. He has a job to do. He says to him, what I want you to do is take the very thing that has happened to you The light that caused your eyes to be opened and your heart to be changed. He said, and I want you to take it to people who need the same thing. I heard a preacher once say that we're not saved for our enjoyment. We're saved for our employment. In other words, what God saves us for is that you and I might go and tell others. That we might share the message of Jesus Christ. That we might share the light of Jesus with others who are still walking in darkness. And it's not about that feeling, it's about the purpose that God gives us. And there, there are a couple of uh, irrefutable proofs that we have experienced the, life our, the light ourselves. The first is there is a change in our lives. As I said, I left that revival meeting that night, still looked the same, still walked the same, but on the inside I was forever changed. And we have that change in our lives. We know that God has done something. The Bible tells us that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old's passed away and the new has come, he tells us. The Bible says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. See, if we're continuing to live and be exactly what we were, we're not going to change our outside. But if our inside doesn't change, if our actions don't change, if our beliefs don't change, then he says, you're living a lie. And you're still walking in darkness. So there's going to be a change in your life. And then the other thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a new concern in your life. You are going to have a concern for those who are still walking in darkness. I'm going to share something that's probably going to surprise you because I know none of you have this happen. Politicians sometimes make me angry. I, I know I'm the only one that has that issue. You know, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on or I'm on. You know, all of them can make me angry at some time, some point. But, you know, God, God has been doing a, a special work in me over the last few months. Because I find I'm not angry as much now as I'm heartbroken for them. God is leading me not to get angry, but to pray. To have a concern for these. I prayed for a politician the other night, a national politician, who I will tell you I have never prayed for in my life. I'm going to tell you who it is. It doesn't matter. But I prayed for this person as God laid that soul on my heart. 
And I pray for their salvation. See, one of the irrefutable proofs that your life has been changed and that you're walking in the light is that you have concern for others who are not. Your heart breaks for those people who are lost and headed for hell. If you wanted to sum up Paul's life, if you took all of his writings and put them together, and let's boil it down to a bottom line, it would be this. I want to know Jesus more, and I want to make him known more to others. That was what he was all about. Once he experienced the light, once he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, his whole life changed. Now he wanted to see people saved. See, the light makes all the difference. I was thinking about it with creatures. And thinking about how different creatures react differently to light. For instance, you cut on the lights on a bunch of cockroaches, what are they going to do? They're going to take off under the refrigerator, under the cap. They're going to go back looking for the darkness. Now, I hesitated to use that illustration because I told Sue, somebody's going to go home and say, the preacher said I was a cockroach. I didn't. But if that's what you got out of it, you need to deal with that. <laughs> if you shine the light on a deer in just the right way, what happens? He freezes. But if you cut the light on, what's a moth going to do? Every time he's going to come to the light. And people fall into one of those three categories. Again, I'm not calling you a cockroach or a deer or a moth. But our response When we experience the light, there are those of us who run from it, content to be in the darkness. That's hard for me to understand, hard for me to grasp, but there are those who do it. There are those who kind of freeze up and it's like they don't know what to do. They they don't know how to respond. Then there are those who rush to the light. And I think that's what God wants for His children. That's what God wants for His church. He wants... A bunch of folks who are rushing to get closer to the light. So I ask you today. How are you responding to the light? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day. We thank you for the time to gather and to connect, Lord. But Father, we think about the light. And Father, we think about the stages that that Paul reminded us of in our spiritual journey from darkness to devotion. And Father, wherever we are and wherever we need to move to in these journeys, Lord, would you just show us right now? Father, would you show us how we need to respond to your word? Father, don't let us leave this place without having responded in the way that you would desire us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.